The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning at verse 31, and you'll find it on page 1031 of the Pew Bibles. Jesus drives out an impure spirit. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, Demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Let's pray. Father, as so often, we pray that you would teach us more about Jesus and help us live our lives in the light of what we learn. Please be with me as I speak, and please be with each one of us as we listen and seek to apply what we learn. Amen. My voice seems a bit gravelly. I'd better have some water before I speak. Sorry about this. That passage we've just heard read is at one level quite simple and self-explanatory. It describes events on one Sabbath day in Capernaum. It explains how Jesus preached in the synagogue and people were amazed at his preaching. He then exorcised a demon and people were amazed at that. And then he healed the mother-in-law of Simon, that is the Apostle Peter, and many other people. 
before the following day when people asked him to stay in the town he refused saying that he needed to go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God elsewhere that much is clear and simple But what happened that day raised, and indeed still raises, important issues. The main one being, what do those events signify about Jesus and about his ministry? And that's what we're going to focus on today. But before that, there are a few points that I need to mention about the context. First of all, Capernaum. Capernaum was a small town on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, Luke says that Jesus went down to Capernaum, and that is certainly apposite. It was 680 feet below sea level. Uh, But more importantly... It was where Jesus chose to base himself during his ministry in Galilee. After he'd been baptised by John the Baptist, he appears to have ministered briefly in Jerusalem. And then, when John was put into prison, he headed up to Galilee and he went to live in Capernaum. The events we've heard about unquestionably took place near the beginning of his ministry. But we do need to remember that the Gospels don't record events in strict chronological order. So we don't know for certain whether those events we've just heard about happened before or after the events in Nazareth that we were considering last week. Uh, You may think that the fact that verse 31 begins with the word then strongly suggests that they occurred afterwards. But the trouble is the word translated then could just be a conjunction. And if you go back to verse 23, you'll see something that might suggest the reverse. Jesus told the people of Nazareth, uh, you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum which suggests he'd been ministering in Capernaum before he ministered in Nazareth. And it's possible that Luke chose to record what Jesus did in his hometown first, and then, as it were, went back to look at what he did in Capernaum, explaining why it was that Jesus referred to that. Now, you may say, well, that's quite interesting, but why have you bothered to tell us that? Why does it matter? It matters for at least three reasons. First of all, it's easy for us to assume, consciously or unconsciously, that the Gospels are written in chronological order and and draw false conclusions from that. And then, secondly, we need to remember that the gospel writers frequently adopted a thematic rather than a chronological approach, and that therefore the fact that they record events in different orders from one another isn't a sign of contradiction between them. Uh, Furthermore, thirdly, and more positively, bearing in mind that thematic approach we may better understand the points that the gospel writers are making to us. Uh, 
So so take, for example, this passage in Luke chapter 4. Luke begins by giving us a big, broad summary of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And having given that big, broad summary, in the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5, he gives us examples of how different people responded to Jesus. The people of Nazareth, the people of Capernaum, the unclean spirits, Simon, the apostle Peter, other people who needed healing, Levi, the tax collector, the Pharisees. And what he indicates is that despite his statement that as a broad generalization everyone praised Jesus, there was in fact a range of responses to him. And what he's doing is inviting us to recognize that range of responses and consider our own response to Jesus. So let's look at Jesus. Have you ever tried to imagine what it was like in Capernaum that Sabbath day? It's worth trying to do so. Or perhaps imagine that something similar happened today. Imagine that we had invited a guest speaker who was standing where I am standing today. And he began to teach, but he teached in a way completely different from the way that Eddie, oh, I thought he was sitting there, well, he's not, Eddie, uh, Andy, and I, or indeed anyone else, preached. And then either during the sermon, or perhaps afterwards when people are all drinking coffee, suddenly a man appeared down in the middle. Imagine he appeared there and started yelling at the top of his voice. And the guest speaker calmly went up to him and said, Be quiet, come out of him. And the man fell to the floor and then got up, stood up, completely calm and in his right mind. And and then imagine that being a brave sort of soul, our church warden Sam Hart invited the guest speaker back to have lunch with him. And over lunch, Sam just happened to mention that his mother-in-law was sick. And the speaker said, fine, went upstairs and healed her. And then later in the day, came from the house, went and stood outside M&S and started to heal all comers. How would you react to that? You'd be amazed, wouldn't you? In fact, if you're like me, you would be incredulous, hardly believing the evidence of your own eyes. And that's exactly how the people of Capernaum reacted. Some people suggest that ancient people were uh, naive and unsophisticated and that the people of Capernaum would have expected this kind of thing. But, But frankly, that is complete rubbish. The people of Capernaum would have heard about the miracles in the days of Moses and in the days of Elijah and Elisha, but they knew that was hundreds of years ago. They would no more have expected the events they witnessed than we would expect them if they were to happen here today. They were amazed. They were staggered. Nothing like this had ever happened before. 
it's interesting. The first thing that amazed them was Jesus' teaching. Why was that? Well, in verse 32, it says they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. It's frequently been observed that one aspect of that is that Jesus spoke as though he was the repository of all truth and the source of all moral obligation. And no one at Capernaum had ever heard anyone speak like that before, and neither have you, and neither have I. That that in itself was amazing. Of course, we don't know precisely what Jesus said in Capernaum. None of the Gospels tell us. Uh, but we've got a pretty idea of its gen- a good idea of its general content. Matthew, in his Gospel, says that from the time of his move to Galilee, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Mark, in his Gospel, expands on that. He says that after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And of course, at the end of our passage today, Luke tells us that Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, what he was doing is he was saying that the time had come for the Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. Salvation was at hand for those who would repent and believe. And he was indicating that those promises were being fulfilled in him. You may remember from our passage last week that when he was in Nazareth, Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And having said that and quoted a bit more, he sat down and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see... Jesus was telling them something new. He was saying the time has come now for the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. And he was centering all of that on himself. And the Gospels indicate to us that he did that in a calm, measured manner. So even those who rejected him found it very difficult to dismiss him or even to criticise him. The people of Nazareth rejected him, but even they had to admit that his words were, as they put it, gracious. It must have been really disconcerting. Jesus' preaching claimed such authority for himself and was so centred on himself that it was the kind of thing we might expect from a madman or a megalomaniac. And yet the way he spoke, the way he taught, and the things he did suggested that he was neither of those things. In fact, it suggested totally the reverse. I think that that is probably the reason why the people of Capernaum were so amazed by his teaching. 
it was amazing. And we should share that amazement. But of course, the amazement wasn't limited to what Jesus said. No, the people were also amazed by his authority and power, the the authority and power that he demonstrated over what Luke calls unclean spirits. We could spend a very long time talking about issues connected with demon possession, but I'm not going to do that. The Bible actually says very little about it. It indicates that demon possession is a reality, and it suggests that there was an upsurge in that at the time of Jesus' ministry, but it really doesn't say much beyond that. Furthermore, Luke in this passage doesn't focus on the demons. He focuses on Jesus' power over the demons. And that exhibition of power of itself was doubtless sufficient to elicit the amazement of the people. But there are two specific things that are worth noticing about it, and indeed uh, that are, are noticeable in all of his interactions with evil spirits. And yes, I know that I've mentioned this in previous sermons, indeed quite recently. Uh, First of all, did you notice that he didn't use any spells or incantations or any other mumbo-jumbo? There was no fuss, indeed no preparation at all. And he didn't appear to exert any great effort in relation to this. He just spoke. And secondly, when he spoke, he didn't invoke any higher authority. Not even God. He just spoke and it happened. Rather like those soldiers that we saw. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Small wonder that the people of Capernaum were astonished. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And again, we need to be sure that we're not getting blasé about this. We should share the astonishment of the people of Capernaum. And I suspect that astonishment grew even greater during the course of the day. Because Jesus indicated that that exorcism wasn't a one-off. And what's more, he had the same power and authority over what we would call ordinary illness. So amazement is an appropriate reaction to all of this. However, amazement is one thing. Comprehension is another thing. How did Jesus do it? Why did he do it? What did it signify? The people of Capernaum didn't know the answers to those questions. And sadly today, many people, indeed I'd say most people, without examining the evidence, don't even ask the questions. 
Without examining the evidence, they dismiss what we're looking at today as never having happened, as mere legend. Now, it may be that there are some people here today who likewise do that. And if you are in that category, I would like to urge you to think again, to reconsider the issue, to look at the evidence. And by the way, by all means, afterwards, talk to Eddie or Andy or or me about it. We'd love to talk about it. I am a sceptical, suspicious lawyer. And I find the evidence for the reliability of the Gospels compelling. Of course, there are some people who don't dismiss the evidence in quite that way. Uh, They view Jesus, however, as some kind of wonder worker, perhaps adding that he displayed compassion for people, perhaps God's compassion. And of course, there's truth in that. He did work wonders. He, He did show compassion for people. It was God's compassion for people. And there's also truth in the view that Jesus was showing God's power over evil and demonstrating that in the end, good will triumph over evil. All those things are true. But the people of Capernaum recognised that such views were not adequate to explain the events that they had witnessed. They weren't an adequate response to those things. Of course, they did recognise that Jesus was compassionate and good. That's why they asked him to stay in their town. And they commented on his power, but they also focused on his authority the authority demonstrated by the healings. And thus they linked that to the authority in his teaching that they had already noticed. You see, in his teaching, Jesus had proclaimed, Jesus had claimed authority. In his healings and other miracles... Uh, Jesus demonstrated that authority. That the miracles said, this man has authority, listen to him. Uh, They were pointers. Time and again in his ministry, in various different ways, Jesus made it clear that his healings and other miracles were not ends in themselves. They were primarily pointers. We're going to get a really good example of that in a few weeks' time when we look at another of Jesus' miracles in Capernaum, the healing of the paralysed man. But there is actually, in our passage today, a hint of it. Uh, Right at the end, in verse 43, uh, I've already quoted it, Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Do you know, he, he didn't say, I must go and heal people in the other towns. Although, of course, he did heal people in the other towns and indeed perform other miracles there. But his primary mission was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. The miracles were ancillary to that. 
So the healings he performed in Capernaum pointed to Jesus' authority. In fact, they pointed beyond that authority because by pointing to his authority, they pointed to who Jesus was and is. They raised the question, who is this man? And they pointed to the answer. The people of Capernaum didn't understand what that answer is. At this stage of Jesus' ministry, very few people did. But it's notable that the unclean spirits knew. Verse 34, we learn that the man who was possessed said, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then we're told later in verse 41, Demons came out of many people shouting, You're the Son of God. Uh, The term Holy One of God could simply mean you're a holy man. But of course it could also mean much more. And the term Son of God is likewise ambiguous, uh, though it could mean you're the Messiah, God's chosen saviour. In any event, Jesus wasn't prepared to enter into a discussion of his identity at this stage. Uh, Expressions like Holy One of God, Son of God, and even Messiah were at that stage too open to misunderstanding. Instead, what Jesus said was, what Jesus did was more and more to say and do things that proclaimed and demonstrated his authority in all sorts of different contexts. And then finally, right towards the end of his life, at his trial, immediately before his crucifixion, he was ready to accept and state that, yes, indeed, he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. Because, you see, by that time, there wasn't room for misunderstanding. Uh, His words and actions had clearly demonstrated that he wasn't some kind of political leader, much less was he the kind of revolutionary messiah who was going to rid the Jewish nation of the Roman oppressors uh, that it appears some of them had hoped for. No, he was actually much more. You see, the power and authority uh, that he claimed and that his actions demonstrated was none other than the power and authority of God himself. Jesus was the Messiah, yes. He was actually the divine Messiah. God the Saviour himself. I, I expect that subsequently, after his death and resurrection... At least some of the people of Capernaum would have recognised that they were amongst the first people to be given an indication of that. They would have moved from amazement to comprehension. Or perhaps put it better, they would have added comprehension to their amazement. And I trust that some of them would have added a third thing commitment. Because you see, as our passage today indicates, comprehension on its own is not enough. The evil spirits knew who Jesus was. They comprehended and Jesus cast them out. 
Jesus called the people of Galilee to be amazed. Yeah. He also called them to comprehension, but above all, he called them to commitment. To to use his own words, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That was his message to them. And of course, it's his message to us today. And if you haven't responded to that call, could I urge that you do so? Amen.